It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Who is Sam Bankman-Fried? Why is he on trial? And what role does cryptocurrency play in all of this? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. SBF, FTX, chances are you have heard some combination of these letters being thrown around in the news lately. The man at the center of all of the attention is none other than Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF himself. Sam Bankman-Fried rose to fame as an up-and-coming crypto mogul with his company FTX. I'm sure you've heard of it. However, that fame soon turned into infamy when FTX declared bankruptcy in November of 2022. And Sam Bankman-Fried was soon arrested for allegedly orchestrating one of the most prominent financial frauds in modern day history. So what led to the downfall of FTX? What are the charges Sam Bankman-Fried currently is facing? And what impact did he have on the cryptocurrency trend? Well, here to help break it down for us is Fox business correspondent and host of The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, Kelly O'Grady. Well, first of all, Kelly, it's so fun to actually be here in person. Yeah, this is our first time actually meeting in person. I know, it's wild. It's been like two years, blondes on either coast. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. When I first moved to New York, everyone was so surprised because there aren't a lot of blondes here. Oh, So I'm glad that, you know, we're in New York right now and we get to share this this blondehood. Um, I'm sitting across from a very smart blonde, by the way. I mean, you have been covering this thing, um, you know, left and right from start to finish. You have a podcast, which we'll get into But let's just start by explaining to people what exactly happened with FTX, who is Sam Bankman-Fried, and what don't we know? Okay, so basically, uh, well, first of all, thank you. I'm glad I fooled you that I'm smart (laughs) and I know what's going on. Um, I'll try to keep it going. So basically, Sam Bankman-Fried, he is this... 30, 31-year-old, once crypto king, if you will. He was a billionaire... um, on paper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He was the face of cryptocurrency. And it's kind of interesting because it it started, I think crypto was this nefarious thing, right? Very black market. And all of a sudden, over the past couple of years, you started to see it become more in mainstream. You know, you saw the price of Bitcoin go up, which is one of the cryptocurrencies. Um, You saw people average people start to play around with it, put their money in in certain places. And that's where this whole story begins because people were looking for a safe place to actually invest in cryptocurrency. And if you're the average person, you're not going to go to the black market and buy some crypto, right? I don't know about you. <laughs> okay, well, you <laughs> are more daring than me, Abby. I'm just kidding. Um, you are going to go to a place that other people seem to think is reputable, right? Mm. So they started these different things called exchanges. And it's essentially where you can go and buy and sell just as you would stocks, Um, on Wall Street, you would go and buy and sell different cryptocurrencies. And so that's where Sam came into the picture. He noticed a need. He was an MIT graduate. His two parents were uh, law professors at Stanford. He has a lot of contacts in this world through them. And he said, okay, I'm going to start this exchange. 
and I'm going to create a marketplace because there's a need for that. So, you know, got a lot of investors. Kevin O'Leary, um, he had lots of folks who, like Tom Brady, Giselle, once it got going, that were really promoting this. And then it all came crashing down because yes. apparently he was <laughs> allegedly stealing customer money. Okay, so that I want to get more into mm-hmm. detail because everything looks great. I mean, it's a smart idea. And right. usually when these things happen, they are very smart folks. And you think if you would have just done things the right way, I mean, this could have been a great idea. But something you said at the beginning, you said he was a billionaire on paper. I think I was reading somewhere, it was like, what, $26 billion yeah. was his net worth? So how was he a billionaire on paper, but not in actuality? So a lot of his net worth was wrapped up in the company. So how much the company was worth because he owned the company. And I will highlight as we get more into this, there's another company I need to mention, which is Alameda Research. He was also the owner of that. And essentially, I'm sure we'll get into this, but where the fraud was is how those two companies were interacting, FTX and Alameda. So he's got a couple of companies that he's owner of, um, or at least partial owner. And that's kind of where a lot of, um, you know, when you hear of these tech entrepreneurs, they're, oh, they're billionaires, they're billionaires on paper. Because when you don't have a public company, you don't have shares, you're not able to actually, you know, sell off the way Elon Musk does with his Tesla stock, for example. Mm -hmm. So it's really just wrapped up in the fact that you own part of a company. And a lot of that company's value was also tied up in customer money, So was it really his money? Okay, so where did the fraud happen? Happen. Alleged fraud. Alleged. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. (laughs) The trial is not complete. Where did the alleged fraud happen? Well, it certainly played out in the court of public opinion, but yes, Yes. true. Uh, Not necessarily a verdict yet. So basically, you have FTX, which was this exchange that I mentioned where people can go buy and sell crypto. And then you had Alameda Research, which was this other company that Sam owned. And... A lot of this has played out where it's like, oh, it's cryptocurrency. It's really murky. It's all confusing. Let's not go into that. The alleged fraud here is very, very simple. It is the fact that FTX, which had customer money, because let's say you, Abby, decided to go buy Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And so you put... I wish. (laughs) (laughs) There's still time. Uh, You put some money into this digital online platform. And you just, you deposit that and you're like, okay, I I have my my digital wallet and I see that there's $100 there and I can go spend $100 and change it into Bitcoin. What was happening is there was allegedly a backdoor that was built in that platform for this other company that he owned, Alameda Research, to actually take that money that you see sitting in your wallet Mm -hmm. and actually take it and use it for all sorts of things, like buying luxury real estate in the Bahamas, making political donations to a number of different campaigns, uh, making investments in other companies that in some ways have actually paid off. Some didn't. But the simple fact that you as a customer would have put your money there and did not agree to that money being lent out to anyone else or any other company, that's where the fraud is. Right. So then how did it not go bankrupt? How did... You know, if you ha- no, if you're using all of this money and spending it on things, you're not getting that money back. Is that where everything fell apart, or how did that work? So it was kind of a perfect storm. Like actually, the business itself, this idea of an exchange where you can go buy and sell crypto. There's plenty of other exchanges out there now that are doing that. Mm-hmm. If the value of cryptocurrency had not crashed. This actually, I'm not sure that this alleged fraud would have ever been found out because 
You had um, back like last year, everyone was like, oh, my God, I have to buy cryptocurrency. And then all of a sudden you started to see the price of Bitcoin crash. Mm -hmm. And so everyone like you or like me who didn't really feel that cryptocurrency was where they wanted to keep their money in the long run went and they started taking all of that money out. So think about it as a digital bank run um, where you're like, "Okay, I need to take all that money out. Now, if you're FTX and you're Sam Bankman-Fried and you let all that money go to a different place, customers can't actually, there's no money there. That's a real a, a digital bank run. That's a really yeah. good idea or a really good way that you explained it because people, we obviously saw that play out not too long ago also. You know, there's a video. So, I mean, that's kind of at the forefront of people's minds. And then you watch something like this happen mm -hmm. and you had these big names, like you mentioned, Tom Brady, Giselle. So what happened to their money? I mean, did, how much did they invest and or how much did they lose? I guess I should ask too. So that's I, I honestly I wonder is this what really broke them up? You know, maybe <laughs> said all the money that got lost. <laughs> no, so I mean you had you had Tom Brady, uh, you had Steph Curry. He not only did those commercials, Larry David, of course, they had Super Bowl commercials that were saying, you know, this is a safe thing to invest in. It's mm -hmm. it's the same thing as when you see the the folks on The Bachelor uh, promoting hair bear gummies that, you know, your hair's going to grow long. Yeah. And it's awesome, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to sugar rush, but no, right, it's really, really it's extensions, right? I can attest <laughs> to that. Um, but basically, they were not only promoting it uh, in social media and commercials and whatnot, but they also got equity in the company and they invested some money in the company because everyone was like, oh my God, I can't miss out on this big thing. You know, there's this like, crazy, awesome, smart billionaire. He must know everything. And so um, they lost all of their money. Like there was nothing left. So the, the company did file for bankruptcy. Now, there's two things that I want to highlight there. All of those folks who like uh, Shaquille O'Neal was one of them, Tom Brady was one of them, Larry David, um, they're named in a class action lawsuit right now. There's a lot of customers who are extremely frustrated with the fact that they were out there promoting something that maybe they didn't do their due diligence on. We don't know that for sure, but oftentimes when those million-dollar checks are rolling in, you say, yeah, sure, I'll promote this. That sounds great. Now, the second thing, though, is they may get a lot of their money back because there's a separate process from the trial going on uh, in bankruptcy court. It's very boring, but basically new management has to come in and figure out where all of this money went, sell all of those luxury real estate properties, sell those investments. Uh, and right now, it looks like customers are not going to be made whole. Those investors are not going to be made whole, but they will get a decent amount of money, anywhere between 80 and 90%. It's actually looking right Oh, right wow. Okay. I know. It's a, kind of a happy, great. yeah. <laughs> Good happy, for them. in quotes, Until ending. Until they get sued again for promoting this, this thing. Yes. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, too. I mean, are they held accountable, these celebrities who, obviously, they didn't know exactly what was happening in the inner workings. But, you know, if you're promoting something that ends up being fraudulent, what's the consequence there? Exactly. So in many cases, they are held responsible. So uh, I'll give you an example. Kim Kardashian, mm -hmm. I think it was maybe a couple years ago or so, or maybe it was even just a year, the SEC sued her and she had to pay a fine of a couple hundred thousand dollars. I mean, for Kim K, that's jump change. <laughs> it's fine. She's fine. Yeah. But what she had done was she had posted on her Instagram about a different cryptocurrency company. It wasn't FTX or Alameda, but she was promoting it. And what they ultimately ended up finding was that she didn't do her research and she wasn't sharing with her followers 
that she was getting paid to do this. So uh, there's kind of precedent where, especially in this space that has been so murky, that some of these celebrities who, yeah, sure, do we think Kim K was in the meetings, like, doing all that? I don't know. She does have a law degree now, so perhaps. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, do I think that Tom Brady was sitting there uh, going through the nitty-gritty of how their financials played out? No, but when you decide to become a spokesperson— you are often held accountable um, in these lawsuits for that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because we joke now, like, oh, man, should have bought it. But then it's like, should I have? Because this <laughs> is, I mean, they were athletes. Got to the point where athletes were asking for part of their pay in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Right. And you're you're thinking, well, what happens if, if this all crashes? I mean, that's a big risk. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it's super fascinating. And I think, too, for a regular person who might not be interested in the crypto aspect of it, might not. I personally am interested in that because I think it's so fascinating how all these people got on board mm. and then it all came tumbling down. But there was another aspect for people to follow, and it was Sam Bankman fried and his girlfriend, Caroline, or now ex-girlfriend. So can you explain that situation, <laughs> please? Because that was... Whew. Yes. And that's honestly what I've been here for this entire time. <laughs> when she took the stand and I was outside the courtroom, like Abby, it was it was like Lady Gaga was showing no up way. to to take the stand. You had photographers like trying to get in her face. And I'm like, I, I think this might be the only time, you know, that this poor girl is, you know, has yeah. this much attention around. So yeah. So basically, um, they met back in at this company called Jane Street Capital. It's a trading firm on Wall Street, very traditional, and Sam was a trader there. Caroline was an intern, as these stories oh, always start. The oh, power dynamic. That's the next yeah. documentary. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't wait for the documentary about this. The oh, movie, everything. I'm very excited. <laughs> but they, you know, they met there. And and not for nothing, right? There's a, there's a power dynamic there. You mm-hmm. have someone who might have been managing you. Like, think about yourself as an intern. You just want to um, do as, as much as possible, do as well as possible. The guy's got $26 billion. And <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not at that point. But um, so then he kind of brought her on to that company that I mentioned, Alameda Research. Mm-hmm. And it was exactly what she had done at Drain Street, which was trading. But this time it was crypto. It wasn't stocks. So she was a trader at Jane Street and – or sorry, at Alameda. And then fast forward to a couple of years later, he actually made her co-CEO of the company. Now, all during this time, they had this on-again, off-again relationship. At first, they kept it secret from folks at the companies. But then their second go-around, their third go-around, that sort of became very well-known – and part of it is, well, okay, they're all living together in this Bahamian mansion um, that some folks tried to say was like a dorm. And I'm like, that was not that my was not my dorm. dorm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish. My dorm had cockroaches. Add some mold uh, in there and then that was our dorm. <laughs> um, but, you know, you have Sam. And the reason why he made her the CEO, uh, she ultimately became sole CEO of the company, was that he wanted to optically – step back from Alameda and focus on FTX, not just from, uh, you know, I've got too many things going on, but from an optics standpoint, because he didn't want anyone realizing how close their alleged relationship was, Mm. that Alameda was uh, getting preferential treatment. So that's why he had her run it. And so basically what the, both the prosecution and defense have tried to do is make her 
the main person, you know? Well, I was going to ask, did he also do that so we had a fall guy or a fall girl in this? <laughs> fall gal? <laughs> fall gal. I like that. Fall gal. Uh, you know, it's hard to tell. Um, in some cases, I-, I think yes, because he was very, very careful about not having anything, any text messages, any uh, documents or anything where there's that communication showing that he was truly the director of everything, that he was orchestrating everything. So, yeah, perhaps. And, you know, you have uh, that power dynamic, that power imbalance. And that's definitely something um, that might be on the jury's minds as we come out of, you know, that whole Me Too, Time's Up uh, movement. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I don't want to offend anyone by this question because I don't know her, how prepared she was for this, what kind of background she had. Maybe she was qualified to be the CEO of this company, but did that look fishy at all to people when he appointed her CEO of Alameda Research when she was, you know, based back on her prior situation? You know, I wish I could say yes, but like, let's step back and look at all of like the key players involved at that time. They're like 26, 27 years old. Like, does Sam Bankman-Fried really have the pedigree to be running? You know, it's it's kind of that, oh, the young genius entrepreneur, like all these kids are um, working in an industry, crypto, that, of course, older, more tenured investors at that point maybe didn't fully understand. It was just FOMO. I want to be uh, I want to be involved in this. And so who better to know all of that stuff than someone who's younger, more with Um, these different types of digital currencies. So I think in some cases, I actually think their backgrounds, that lack of experience in years in traditional companies and investing Mm. almost worked in their favor because, oh, they must know what's going on. Look, MIT, Stanford, oh, they must know what's up. Totally. And it is true in today's world, especially being in New York or Los Angeles, wherever you're based, you meet these people out that are in their 20s, and they're like, oh, yeah, I just sold my third company. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm a little behind. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should go work for FTX. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just I would never. Um, wow. So then what is their, what what happened to their relationship just kind of in the court of public opinion? And, and she's an ex now. But how has mm. he treated her and how has she treated him? Did they turn on each other? I mean, what's that story? Oh, yeah. Well, she's throwing him under the bus. Or, or I guess her testimony's Imagine. over. So uh, definitely under the bus. Um, so basically, there's a couple of things to highlight. I mean, their their relationship, not to make many assumptions, but I, I highly suggest anyone who's listening to this to just go Google Sam Bankman-Fried, go mm-hmm. Google Caroline Ellison. Um, you know, they're just not necessarily the Instagram models, right, that you're you're used to seeing in this high-life, luxury, Bahamian mansion vibe. So uh, there is a book that came out, um, Michael Lewis, you know, very storied biographer. He happened to be at right place, right time, you know, just recording everything that was going on. He was profiling Sam Bankman-Fried back before any of this fell because, right, 
crazy, amazing billionaire entrepreneur. Lucky duck. Oh, I know. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it's crazy how it happened. And there's this, just to kind of characterize the nature of their relationship, there's this one passage in the book that shares uh, Sam sent a memo to Caroline about the pros and cons of a sexual relationship with him. Very analytical. Yes, very wow. analytical. I, I, you know, sometimes I wish like previous relationships I've had. <laughs> Please sell me on why yes, I should exactly. date you. Why should I date you? Um, and one of the things that he said was, "I have no empathy. My feelings aren't real." Um, and Is then he a psychopath. I, I guess, left up to interpretation, but certainly those are characteristics that one would traditionally associate with was that someone. A pro or a con? It was a con. <laughs> okay. <laughs> fair point. Fair yeah. point. He at least Doesn't was self-aware get enough. Yes. So you know you can <laughs> say whatever you want. Exactly. So it, it kind of shares their very toxic, sordid relationship because she still decided to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess so, right? Maybe you can change a man. Um, And so now fast forward to this, uh, she's really throwing him under the bus because not only did she turn on him in court, but she made a deal with the prosecution that she's facing the same number of years. Because even if if he is the one who told her to do these things, like she's still responsible for her actions. Did she she know? So she is saying that over time she started to realize, okay, we're using customer funds. This is wrong. I tried to flag it to a bunch of different people because, by the way, it's not just her that turned on him. It's his inner circle of friends. There's a couple that made a deal with the prose- uh, with the prosecution. And so she is throwing him under the bus in exchange for hopefully less prison time. Mm-hmm. So it's a good motivation, right? That's a great motivation. I wouldn't want to go to prison for one day. No. So I would say, hey, <laughs> I'm going to tell you everything that Kelly's been doing. <laughs> and I just <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Um, no, it's. Well, these things happen. I don't know why you would think, too. I mean, if someone was documentary documenting your every move, mm-hmm. you would think that maybe that should send – maybe he he was right about his cons, that he, he just – he doesn't have the emotional awareness to know that, that someone – you're going to be found out eventually. My mom says someone always tells. That's usually what happens. So what is the prosecution looking like right now, and what's the defense? What is he arguing? So the defense hasn't taken the stand yet. So we're on break. Judge Kaplan, who to me is actually the real star of this trial. Yeah. <laughs> this is like grumpy old judge that gets frustrated. Um, I'm such a nerd when it comes to trials. So I'm like, oh, all the legal stuff. Um, so he has not or his side has not come forth yet. So we, we do get a sense, though, of what they are going to argue because you have uh, opening arguments, opening statements, which is basically both sides laying out, you know, the roadmap of what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And what he is saying, what his side is saying is, well, I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't the one who was CEO of Alameda. That was Caroline. So they're very much blaming her. Both sides, it's really shaping up to be a he said, she said, or I suppose technically he said, they said, because there's a couple of folks there. Uh, They're also blaming the crypto industry. Well, there wasn't regulation, you know. No, that was coming. <laughs> right. But it's also like, mm, you don't need regulation to know that you shouldn't take customer money without their knowledge. Fraud right. is fraud. And then finally, um, you know, they are kind of going to shape this up as, well, you know, I made some mistakes, but it's not a crime to be stupid. Okay. So you, you actually can't go into jail for that. <laughs> um, it's kind of the, their defense is that he got over his skis. Very similar, by the way, to the defense that we saw from a similar fraud trial 
in the Elizabeth Holmes case. Ah. Now, that didn't work out for her. Nope. Maybe it'll work out for him. The prosecution, they've basically presented their case at this point. They've got like another witness or two. But it shaped up to really hang on the testimony of those inner circle folks that flipped on him. Unfortunately, there is no smoking gun in this case. There is no screenshot of a text message where Sam says, hey, do this. And that's partially because if it is true, he uh, had a New York Times test, which, by the way, I think this is all something that we should live by, but never put anything in writing or document anything that you don't want yep. printed in the New York Times. I'm like, yeah, not bad. <laughs> Maybe he's not as stupid we'll as Fox. he thinks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's it's so interesting to follow because you, again these are these are younger people like yeah. you had mentioned i mean it's not they they're not they could say okay well, it's not a crime to be stupid but they're not stupid i mean they, those are some those are some smart folks um i don't know why caroline didn't second guess things a little bit earlier when you're buying all these big places and you know the bahamas I, he was a billionaire i guess on paper right. but but still i mean how do you how do you not realize so how much longer, I mean, it's impossible to guess these things, but I mean, where are we at right now with the trial? What's left? I know you said mm -hmm. the defense still has to take the stand, mm -hmm. but what should people be looking out for? So this whole thing could wrap up in the next couple of weeks, definitely by Thanksgiving. I mean, what jury wants to be uh, still doing anything no. by Thanksgiving? <laughs> uh, but what is coming next is we are going to see the defense take the stand. And the big question on everyone's mind is Sam Bankman Freed going to testify? Now, I have been digging into this because I'm I'm sitting here thinking like, well, why would he testify? That's such a risk to put yourself on the stand uh, and give the prosecution an opportunity to poke holes in your story and ultimately say something that could ensure a conviction mm -hmm. uh, or guilty conviction from the jury. Um, but at the same time, when you have no smoking gun, when you have three people testifying, well, he told me to do this, and he told me to do this, and he was living the high life, and he was obsessed with buying influence in Hollywood and Washington, the best defense may be actually taking the stand and sharing your own narrative. It was obviously a very different trial, but I think about the Kyle Rittenhouse case mm. where he took the stand and it was, I mean, he held the 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 room captive. And it was really important for him to share his side of the story in order for the jury to get that human element. Because the thing about this case is as juicy as it is, if you've been in the courtroom, it's like delivered by, you know, these 30-year-olds who don't necessarily have media training or anything like that. And so it, it's kind of coming off as pretty bland sometimes mm. because it is about numbers and spreadsheets and whatnot. And so there have been times where the jury is actually nodding off. And <laughs> like, I'm looking at them, I'm like, no, come on, come on, wake up. Get, get this is a party. <laughs> um, and so there's a world where he takes the stand and he clearly convinced a lot of different people who are supposed to be very impressive investors and celebrities and whatnot. So there had to be some charisma and convincing element. Huh. Yeah. I, well, I was going to ask you because, again, I keep going back to this pros and cons list. I don't know why I'm stuck on this because I'm like, it's, it's hard so to get fun. out of your head. <laughs> it's, it is. It's in there forever. <laughs> uh, but, you know, one of the cons was that he doesn't, you know, really show emotion and those types of things. Mm -hmm. So it could be a risk if, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I'm not a lawyer, but don't they say like you want to show remorse, you know, a little bit? So if, if he can't show those proper emotions or who knows how when someone's under 
a duress if they show a different emotion that they don't really mean. And you know, I just talked to a, on this podcast, actually, a body language expert, and oh. she goes into trials and she reads the jury and she reads, you know, the everybody that is involved and she kind of analyzes it. And she yeah. brought up an interesting story about Elizabeth Holmes, how she knew long, long ago that she was lying and, and all of these things. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see how that all how that all plays out. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. I do want to ask you, too, um, you brought up an interesting point about the jury because I said, I mean, some people don't understand crypto. They don't understand. It's kind of a complicated matter, especially when you put it on this large of a scale. So do you think they're getting caught up in the weeds a little bit too much? Because you were like, a fraud case is a fraud case. I do, actually. I think that the prosecution has not presented this in a way that is easy to follow, right? Mm. Um, and I, you know, I, I I think both of us, right, as journalists, I mean, that is, at the end of the day, like, you have to think about, okay, is this important to the story? I might find it interesting. Oh, it, it might be such a really important point, but is it going to be superfluous for uh, our listener or viewer to follow. And I, I almost wanted, I was like, I want to sit down with you, prosecution. <laughs> What's going on here? I mean, clearly, Let you know, coach. they're 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 very good at their jobs. They've got lots of uh, convictions in the past. But this is, this is a different animal because you haven't seen many crypto cases in the past. They've done a lot of financial uh, fraud. You know, of course, they made a whole series about it. Billions currently watching love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that, you know, you're throwing up spreadsheets, you're throwing up, you're you're talking about all these confusing terms like spot trading and fiat, and they're trying to explain them well. But I can tell you being in the courtroom, I'm someone that has like dug into the weeds and had to learn what these things were over the past year. And there are moments where even I'm going, hold on, what? What are you talking about? So I can only imagine jurors who are supposed to, you know, a jury that's very representative of, you know, the the diversity of Manhattan in terms of job and race and uh, gender and all sorts of things. They're not the average person that understands finance to that deep level. Um, and so I think what I'm hoping to hear from the prosecution in closing arguments, where you get to kind of tie your case up with a bow and say, you know, remember all these things that I said, is that it doesn't matter how complicated it is. It's that they did this. They took money that they shouldn't have and they spent it on things uh, that they shouldn't have. So I, I'm expecting that um, there might be a co- few confused jurors when you go into that <laughs> yeah. room. But, um, you know, it's, it's also really going to depend on what the defense uh, brings. Yeah. You know, are they able to make it all about emotion instead of spreadsheets? It is true because you have to play to the jury as well. And and I, I get into that habit, too. I mean, when you research something so much, you start talking about, I mean, I do a show about national parks. So I start mm-hmm. talking about, like, the microbial mats. And that's why, you know, it's all these microorganisms <laughs> that are coming together. And it's the the sun and the phytoplankton. And I'm like, people might not want to know. I find it really interesting. <laughs> but then I people remind me. They're like, okay, Abby, like, tone it down a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so is there anything, I guess, one of my last questions for you is, is there anything that you notice in following this that you find really, really fascinating that you think people might not either understand or might not have been told about? Uh, Oh, God, 50 million things. But if I were to pick one, um, a lot of uh, well, actually, I'll I'll give you two. You can give me two. I'll I'll give you two. We'll allow two. All right. Uh, Next time, though, not. not. Thank you, Judge. (laughs) It's allowed. Um, 
So there's two things that I think are, are kind of interesting in this. So his uh, ADHD diagnosis has played into this uh, in a couple of different ways. One, in the fact that he his defense was using this as a reason why he might not take the stand. So he hasn't been able to have easy access to his Adderall medication. And so he hasn't been able to necessarily focus. And if you're not able to focus, you don't want to take the stand and, you know, have to endure. Is he not allowed hours to keep it in his pocket? Well, he's t- he's behind bars. So he gets a dose when he wakes up at 4 a.m. at the prison. And you can't actually, you can't have your lawyers giving it to you or all, all sorts of things. They think they've come up with a solution where he takes a timed release pill at the beginning of the day. But there's another, there's a couple of things there that are interesting because if you are going to make the case for an appeal, well, if you haven't been able to meaningfully participate throughout the trial, if you've been unfocused because of something medically that was withheld that you had been trying to get, that's pretty darn good grounds for someone to say, well, you know, uh, we need to have an appeal. The other thing is it's not really allowable. You can't use it as a defense of like, well, I, you know, I I had this diagnosis or I wasn't getting the right medication. Um, But if you're in the jury and all of a sudden you're hearing a lot about his ADHD diagnosis and medication, you might start to wonder without the defense even having to fully make that argument, well, was he taking his medication when he was making all of these decisions? Maybe he wasn't in uh, the right state of mind. And you can start to just let that subtlety, which I thought was, if that's what the defense is doing, such a brilliant move. Yeah. Absolutely love that. So that's the first thing. We'll see how that plays out. Well, just real quick on mm-hmm. that, I was wondering, because, you know, when you watch law shows, that's where I get all oh my, my God, information. Oh, my God, me too. <laughs> <laughs> you watch any law show, and then you watch suits, and and they keep arguing, and, and you hear objections, sustained, but then the lawyer keeps going, Mm -hmm. they're putting, even though they're not allowed to, they're putting ideas in the jury's minds, even if it's not, you know, admissible in the court of law. Absolutely. There's so many times where something has been stricken from the record, uh, the transcript in court, but you still hear that as a jury. not stricken in the brain. Exactly. And I mean, also, how are you able to come into this trial as a juror when it played out so clearly on social media? I mean, Abby, I'll tell you, we stand outside the courtroom for hours and all these people come by because, you know, we're media out there and they're like, who, who, who's, who's, um, who's coming? Who's on trial? And we go, oh, Sam Bakeman freed. And they go, who? And we go, the the guy that might have stole billions in crypto. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yes, guy. of course. <laughs> With the girlfriend. Right. Yeah. And so, the you know, even just, I mean, it probably happens 10 times a day. I think I just need to put a sign out there at this point. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you know, it's that, that all of that stuff plays in. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? You had one more. The other thing, this is just me being a nerd, but I'm going to share it. Yeah. So we're in a classroom. We are in a classroom. Exactly. So, uh, if he does take the stand, let's say he is convincing. Let's say that the jury didn't have preconceived notions and they're the nerd like me. That's like, I don't, it's not beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. Because remember in a criminal trial, it is beyond reasonable doubt. And it only takes one person to go, "Uh, I don't know. I don't want to convict this guy. However, we talked about the lawsuits that are coming against him, the class action lawsuits. We also have uh, the SEC coming after him for those financial crimes. That's a civil case. And what I've discovered throughout this whole thing is that the burden of proof there, you just have to think it's more likely than not. So 51% Ah. that he did something. So 
what ends up happening is if he testifies and he says, oh, I should have had more risk, uh, you know, controls. I should have had a board. I, I made a mistake. All of that stuff, even if he does get off and he doesn't get 110 years in prison, which is what he's facing, but that's the max, um, everything could be used in all of these trials down the line. So maybe if he somehow finds a way not to get, you know, not to get thrown in prison, he could be facing billions of dollars in restitution. So there's Real that, kind of that interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you might not be behind bars, but you're going to be poor. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> wait, I'm, I'm actually, I forgot to ask you that. Um, so yeah, what, what he's facing 110 years in prison and Caroline is as well. So she is as well. And the other what thing else? that is, I mean, he, you rarely see a world where someone gets 110, right? You rarely see a world yeah. where you get the max. Um, but there's actually a second criminal trial that's happening in March where he faces, I want to say, up to 60 years. So this is all going to happen again and play out again. So even if he doesn't get the max and he is convicted, suffice to say, it would be a long time in prison. Yes, a long time. And is there anything else that he – that could be – in 110 years, that's a lot. That's a lot. But is there anything else that I'm sure, you know, he, does he have to pay? I mean, how does that all work? Well, so that would be the civil suit part of it. Yeah. Of, you know, whatever fine um, he ends up having to pay. But yeah, it would be a lot. That's that's why you never lie and why you never cheat and why you never steal any money. Or if you do, you don't get caught. <laughs> yeah, hide it. <laughs> hide it a little better. Well, Kelly, you've been amazing. Um, just quickly, your podcast, if people want more information, and you've done such a good job following this, so where can they find it? Yes, yeah, so we have a podcast called The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. We drop every Monday and Wednesday, and we talk to victims, uh, investors, lawyers, kind of breaking down all the nitty-gritty and whether we think he's going to be found guilty. Mm. Do you? What do you think? I think so. Yeah. I'm going to go on the record, and I, I think he's going to be found guilty. But while we're eating our Thanksgiving turkey, he will probably <laughs> be still behind those bars. Fair. So, Kelly, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this all unfolds in Mondays and Wednesdays. I yes. will be tuning in. Awesome. Great to join you. All right, if you miss anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about Sam Bankman-Free. Number one, SBF is the founder of FTX, but another company we need to pay attention to is called Alameda Research. That's where his girlfriend, Caroline, or I guess I should say ex-girlfriend, Caroline, comes into play. She was appointed the CEO of Alameda Research, and that is why she is currently also in trouble with the law because of the trading that was happening between FTX and this company, Alameda Research. Number two, SBF will take the stand. Kelly points out that that could either help him or hurt him, given the fact that he is facing 110 years in prison, a very, very long time. But SBF is claiming whether or not he does end up testifying depends on if he gets the right dosage of his ADHD medication. And number three, if you want to hear more about this trial, Kelly does such an incredible job breaking it down on her podcast. It's called The Trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, and you can get it on foxnewspodcast.com on Mondays and Wednesdays. You can also listen to it whenever you want. So be sure to do that because she is just so amazing, just as she was on this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on Sam Bankman-Fried. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed.
Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.